Hasla Hale, Tigwit Sid Siyas, Nastralachad Siyas, Matika Sid Stats, to Hobbs Chath, to Achatu Hlela, to Achath Swinamish. Hello, relatives. I'm Matika, the creator of Project 562, a photo documentary project that's dedicated to photographing over 500 tribal nations in the United States with the book forthcoming. I'm also a writer, a filmmaker, a mama, and the co host of this podcast. From the Swinomish and Tulalip tribes. <laughs> I'm really, really glad to have all of you here with us for season three with our new co-host, Dr. Desi. Hi, everybody. I'm just so excited to be here and to be the new co-host for season three. I just introduced myself in my language. My Cheyenne name is Mukshihat, which translates to bear mint woman. I'm a data warrior, a professor, a researcher who studies indigenous erasure and resilience. I'm a relative and a mother, and I'm just so happy to be here and to talk story with all of you. We have so many exciting topics that we're going to get into this season, starting with indigenous motherhood, love, sex, snagging, (laughs) safety of body. (laughs) We're also talking about about the border, reconnecting with indigenous communities, and so much more. We're just coming out of PodCamp, my very first PodCamp, which was super fun. And it was also (laughs) kind of odd because Mm -hmm. Matika and her family were the first people that aren't in my household that I actually (laughs) hugged in nearly a year. I mean, it was just so amazing to be able to be in each other's presence, in each other's space. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so thankful to be able to have that experience and it was because we were vaccinated, you know, both of us and our families, mm-hmm. you know, um, were able to get vaccinated through our tribal nations. And so yeah, big ups to tribal sovereignty. <laughs> <laughs> I was thankful for the, you know, the trip and to actually be somewhere. I mean, that was it's so wild how mm-hmm. we've all just been, you know, sheltering in place for the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exciting to, to know that, you know, as folks keep getting vaccinated you know that that there'll be more reconnections I can't um, wait amongst family and friends you know that's that's what we do as natives we have to connect that's how we like survive right oh so. I can't wait I cannot wait to like go into a long house full of people and have kids running around and people singing and hugging my mm. relatives and sharing food and you know yes. I just miss our relatives so much I feel like this deep longing and sadness for community and Ugh. so yeah it was really special to be able to come together for pod camp and it was really special mm-hmm. to talk with Temris Lane who's on this episode you're gonna love this <laughs> I can't believe okay let me just say when Temris came out she was like nine months pregnant, like going to give birth any day, not just nine months, but like literally days right mm-hmm. away from her due date. And I, I I mean, how amazing this like this amazing indigenous woman and, you know, international athlete and sportscaster. Right. Um, I mean, Tamaris is a big deal, everybody. Mm-hmm. She's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And she's one of the most beautiful people you'll ever see in your entire life. Mm-hmm. Like, holy crap. Um, but it was just so amazing that Temers came in person to share space with us. She brought her sacred little one inside of her. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I feel like every time I'm in the presence of a pregnant woman, it just makes me feel so good. You know, it's like, God, like we're literally sharing space with the most sacred among us, you know, mm-hmm. these life givers who are like at the this point, right? This like zenith of ceremony of bringing 
Yeah, of ceremony. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in my tribe, we say that the circle is complete when there is an elder present, an adult present, and a child present. Mm. And when all three are present, our circle is complete. And so Mm. I was thinking about that, about being at PodCamp. And, you know, you were there, Matika. Your mom was there. We had little Alma be there. Um, We had Temeris and, and the baby she's bringing, you know, into the world. And I just think it was just so amazing to have this complete circle mm-hmm. um, and that really influences how I think and 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 in how I, I how I live because it's it's a powerful way to think about living um, mm-hmm. with all of our generations sorry <laughs> big plans on like smudging and stuff and then we were like um <laughs> we couldn't there's lots of sprinklers in here <laughs> yeah. we think that that's probably a no it's okay we'll just yeah exactly we're like, <laughs> just... <laughs> we'll just feel... it's here the med- good medicine is here <laughs> um okay so today i'm really excited that we have temris lane from lummy Temris is an indigenous sports icon. She played soccer at Arizona State, then professionally for Belinge in the top division, Damosvenskan. Belinga. Okay. Damosvenskan. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you were butcher that. It's okay. She Good try. So I thought I had it. She was so <laughs> Balinga. Damosvenskan. Damosvenskan. Yep. In Sweden? In Sweden. Sweden. Then <laughs> <laughs> you played as a center back. Mm-hmm. Then after playing professionally, she went on to become a model and a sports broadcaster. And in 2010, Temris represented the USA as the official U.S. footballita where she reported on the team's journey to the World Cup in South Africa. She has a master's degree in American Indian Studies from UCLA and is currently an active Nike N7 ambassador on a mission to create access to sport for Native youth. Welcome, Tamaris. Thank you so much. (laughs) What an introduction. We are not young mothers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we've had careers, we've mm-hmm. had lives, we've traveled, we've we've experienced life in mm-hmm. all these different facets, right? We were independent, um, and I, I was like you. I grieved. I had this moment. I remember the day before, because I, I had to have a C-section, so I knew, you know, when my baby was coming. And that that morning of, I just remember being outside. It wasn't even the dawn yet. And just crying Mm -hmm. and being like, this is it. Like, my life is done. The life that I had, Mm -hmm. the the me, right? The me, where I am the center. That is done. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know what this what this new life is going to be. Um, and I'm not ready for it. Like, I'm being like, I'm just not ready. And I was 30 years old, you know, but I was like, I'm just not ready. And my mom was just like, you don't have a choice. That's like, a- I'm taking you to this C-section in two hours. So figure it out. Get it together. Let's go burn something, pray, do what, do you, what have you have to, to do. It's happening, you know? The thing that I have been experiencing mm-hmm as a 38 year old mother which by the way 
the medical system that uh, calls us geriatric. geriatric. <laughs> Every time that shit called me geriatric, I wanted to oh, that word I'm off like, her face. I'm, I'm like, how, how are we geriatric when we are fertile? <laughs> Native women, we can have babies for, for a while. <laughs> you know, let's redefine. Let's redefine. Yes, Don't call categories. me geriatric and my eighty-year-old grandmother. You know, in yeah. geriatric home, like that just seems so fucked up. It is. Thank you. It is fucked up. I agree. It is a white person thing. I mean, the whole <laughs> medical system, right, is Western yeah. and white, but. Yeah, and yeah. talk about, like, the majority of the people that I know who are Native women, they're all having geriatric pregnancies. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, why? Because we... We're just having wise pregnancies yeah. at 38. Yeah, it's a really sacred time when you're pregnant. You know, it's a real... You're in a ceremony, mm-hmm. you know? When I was pregnant, I started asking a lot of people around here and seeking out traditional knowledge keepers and culture bearers wanting to know what our traditional birthing practices were. And and how what and did what, what what did how do we take care of our you know yeah. it was um, well you know a lot of our traditional birthing ways were um, destroyed by colonization you know <laughs> and that's that's a really a, a true thing you know like we were forced into to have our babies with white people in in institutions you know like we used to have our babies at home we used to take care of birth ourselves and we had all of those ways but it was disrupted. And there's some communities that have reinvigorated their birthing practices or never lost them. Um, And here in the Pacific Northwest, that's not, I don't think that's a a true thing. So I had to seek out, like there's, there's leaders like you talked about in this movement in the Pacific Northwest that are bringing back those traditional birthing practices. So I found a midwife that was an indigenous woman and she, um, she helped me navigate the way to to handle this and then i had aunties and other communities that i've made aunties with and other tribes who are like okay well I, we think you should do this this way you know like have a birthing ceremony this way and and, and so i and then there's also books that i read about birth of ceremony so i just kind of like pieced it together myself mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but there wasn't any one way anymore you know there's not any one way and so i i um but I definitely felt like I was in a sacred time. You know, yeah. I could feel it. I knew like my spirit remembered, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder for you, especially since you've been, um, you know, like you've been pregnant during COVID, you know, <laughs> we'd like to know how you've been preparing yourself and yeah. what kind of cultural, spiritual and wellness ways you've been practicing. Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, I going from being an athlete there was a part of me that thought I would be like super active and like you know Mm. keeping you know running and I did a little bit of that and I did a little bit of yoga and I still I still do um you know stretches and things on my own and go for walks but it has been more of a surrendering to the softness Mm. and this um as an as a defender as someone who played with the boys, as someone who in broadcasting had to like step up to the men. Um, I took on a lot of mask, my masculinity and that really served me. Mm-hmm. But I also realized that in like, in also like wondering if my career will still be there, if I'd go to this, like be becoming a mother and I, I feel confident it will be, but it's also that questioning and, I feel like dissolving that ego has also been dissolving that pressure to, to, um, to be wor- like my worthiness was dependent upon my ability to show up in my masculinity. 
And in order to get to this place, I also had to really soften my body, mm-hmm. um, which for me meant like gaining some weight. And and I, I, I knew I wanted to be a mother, but we didn't actually like plan it. We weren't like trying to have a child. Um, it was, my partner, Orion, would say like, yeah, we planned it. Um, but we weren't like on the clock going like I'm ovulating let's do this like Uh scientifically um because I had told him I'm like look I do not want that pressure and I I watched women stress about taking their temperature when they're ovulating the scientific and I said I want to make love and I want to have a baby that's that's from the from that space and if we need to go that route you know, we can, but in the meantime, like, let's still enjoy being a loving couple and like, see if this is, you know, so we didn't necessarily like try to get pregnant, but I, I do feel like a lot of my, a lot of me arriving to the place of, uh, being ready to become a mother meant dissolving a lot of that ego and stepping into my feminine and into my feminine power more and that meant surrounding myself more with native women and with sisterhood and so much of my sisterhood comes from all walks of life which I feel so fortunate to have experienced um feels a little harder to achieve in Seattle it's um or at least that's the way I felt even growing up just being surrounded mostly with white folks and then my native relatives mm-hmm. um and so going out into the world and exploring and learning from other peoples and cultures has been really important to my own understanding of self and identity so now here i am and i feel like part of my body was a part of my body's response to like stepping into being ready meant kind of surrendering to the idea of like needing to have this like LA beach body fitness model athlete like that was super fit and um danced in a samba group with you know little bikinis on and like all these <laughs> things which was amazing I'm like I love I love samba I love dance and that was like an amazing like next athletic endeavor for me um mm. But I kind of had to surrender to the ego of that. And so now like being in COVID on the back end of moving home from California and LA at that, where perceptions of identity are based on your outward appearance, yep. a lot of that. Um, I And like up here, I'm like, I rarely shave my legs anymore, you know? Because <laughs> our legs are never out. And we got the Indian hair, you know? It's like blondish. It's not very thick. Not, you can't even see it. <laughs> I can't even see it. <laughs> will be like, are you shaved? Like once every three months. <laughs> if we're lucky. I saw this, like, this meme or something, and it was like, it was like this person. It was like, you know, like when you just shave your legs after not shaving for ages, I'm just going to stay in the covers and just rub my legs together like a cricket. Yeah, like, I just want to feel it because you just haven't felt it for so long. I'm I forget, like, especially <laughs> in the forget winter. What it feels like. The <laughs> winter, forget about it. I'm and now that I got this belly, you like, oh, know, no. it's not happening. No. So yeah, so a lot of that has just been like kind of surrendering to these 
these perceptions I had about like what's beautiful and what's yeah. um and now that I I'm like in this mom bod <laughs> um I love it I'm really swollen and like see it in my face and you know that's it feels less comfortable so it's it feels less like a you know attractive or beautiful but at the same time I'm just like so grateful for my body and so grateful for um having shelter right now in covid and having the privilege of like being able to quarantine safely mm. this baby has brought so much peace yeah. and um into my relationship and into my life and like confidence of being on the right path and um it's a really crazy time to be bringing uh, another person into the world mm -hmm. And all I can think is like, wow, these babies are such brave spirits oh. and they're coming here and they're coming here with purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think about our ancestors and their decisions in much worse times, right? Yeah. We are here. We are three native women who have had access to privilege in ways that you know, generations before us, not that long ago, certainly didn't have the same access that they fought for. And I think about how this this baby is coming here with with purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I, I, I don't have plans, but I just know that I feel a different kind of peace with mm -hmm. this baby. Mm. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah, I felt I felt the same way when I when, when the Alma Bee was in me. Yeah, it was like really something. I, I wasn't like a a good pregnant person. I was like, I complained. <laughs> I gained weight. I, you know, like softening, softening, softening. I get. I'm definitely the the weight gain is real. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I got kind of gave myself permission though this time. Yeah. Like, and I feel like maybe if I were to have more, there might be a different mentality that I take on, like yeah. based on this first experience, but. I kind of gave myself permission of like, you know, I'm a healthy person. I have eaten pretty healthy my whole life or like fair, I've had to in order to perform um, as an athlete or otherwise. And um, now it's like the time that I get to just eat my pancakes every weekend. And whereas before it was like pancakes were like every once in a while or like, <laughs> um, but it just has been like, I've kind of given myself permission to enjoy differently and if if I'm hungry, like eat the things that I want. Um, and it's been it's also been nice um, to really intentionally like experience sobriety, like in yeah. this last nine months uh, or more. And uh, and I think that's not always been, you know, the cases, especially during COVID. I know that a lot of people are struggling with with substance and um, in our own families and just experiencing sobriety again has been really beautiful um, mm -hmm. and just important to know that it's it's right here whenever I want it you know um, and I know that that's a path for a lot of our relatives and um, and, and I admire it navigation you know I quit I've always been a closet smoker and smoking cigarettes just like ciggies on the side mm -hmm. as I call them <laughs> I wasn't a pack a day type of person I'd smoke like a pack every couple of months you know but right. still, when I wanted to smoke a ciggy, I would. I mm -hmm. wouldn't be like, no, I'm not going to because I just have always loved tobacco. And then when I was pregnant, I was like, oh, my God, I can't 
can't smoke ciggies. <laughs> no. No ciggies. No vices. No ciggies at all. It's no vi- this intentional <laughs> time, you know, this... You talking about surrendering is so powerful because I feel like as indigenous women, indigenous women in this contemporary world, um, we have to always have our armor on, you know, like literally our, our, our survival in all of these yeah. spaces is so contingent on us always being armored up, our words, our bodies, right, our actions. Um, but when you're in this sacred time of caring life and the surrendering that you have to do is so it's so real and it, and it, there's it's on so many levels right mm-hmm. um and so just you telling your story brings me back to that time you know um i have a four-year-old now so this was five years ago you mm-hmm. know when i was carrying him and and i think back and i think you know what that was what i tried to do i tried to surrender i tried mm-hmm. to do my best to soften i you know um i don't think i did it as well as i probably needed to you know mm-hmm. um and i had I had a a village of moms and aunties trying to help me surrender, right? Mm -hmm. But I was still so unwilling, I think, to take off all the armor um, (laughs) in fear of what would happen to me. Mm. Like, how how can I be this vulnerable, you know? Who will hold me in this vulnerable Mm. place, you know? Mm. Um, And then that, I feel like, really continues, you know? There'll be, once this beautiful baby comes, right, and the that first year is so sacred you know that um and so we were i was talking to matika about you know i put my infant baby you know that was born three weeks early so into daycare you know when he was eight weeks old but really he was only like just over a month old if i think about when he should have came and um because i felt this this just real pressure to go back into the world Mm -hmm. finish your phd keep going to class, keep making money, keep being this person, right? Not this mother, but this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, do I have all the regrets. I have all the regrets that first year. I can't even really even remember or recall so many precious moments. I know they're there and I pray to the creator and I pray that I will get those back, mm-hmm. that you know, that, that I will be gifted those memories back because so much of those memories to me felt... Um, they I just was trying to just push through them mm. to get to what what was on the other side I don't know you know it's it's such a I know that everybody has advice and nobody has advice this at the same time and I don't ever want give mothers advice because I'm like listen we are all on these our journeys as moms are so different they're yeah. so personal they're you know um and so I never ever offer advice I, I just offer the experience that I had right and then it's like maybe it resonates maybe it doesn't that's fine too the elder wisdom of of nobody don't give advice no. just tell your story share the stories you know yeah. mm-hmm. my um your mom I was around her mom when I was pregnant and she was my like, mom knew Matika was pregnant before me and she <laughs> held that secret she did and she not, was like girl lay down she, didn't. she kept telling me just to sit down you're keeping <laughs> it a secret she didn't tell me for months and then wow. finally I was like 
I was like, Mama Tika's pregnant. She's like, girl, I knew that. I knew that like four months ago. I was like, whoa. Yeah, look, all those aunties were always telling me to sit down and lay down. And I'm like, lay down. (laughs) I was on canoe journey at six months pregnant, and all the women were like, lay down. They kept telling me to calm down, lay down. You know, I just remember that. But when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably should have just... Lay down. Lay down. Lay down. <laughs> That's too funny. Dang, you were all over the place pregnant. Yeah, yeah, we've had such a different pregnancy. Yeah. And like because I've just had to stay put. Yeah. yeah. Which has been hard because yeah. I, you know like uh, the the I would that's such a cool story for your for your baby to say you were on your first canoe journey six months in you know in the womb. Um, and it's like to your point, we all have just such different experiences. Yeah. And the surrendering, I feel like, or taking off the armor, I resonate so much with that because I, uh, when you say that, I visualize what I have felt is here, which is like this incredible shield with spikes coming off of it. <laughs> Sometimes it breathes fire, <laughs> and like, yeah. and and often it's misdirected at the people that I love the most, and yeah. so like. Yeah. Part of this experience of um, becoming a mother mm. has been about like openness and like being vulnerable again and and hearing your stories of like feeling like you need to push forward through your your yeah. academics and your career and um, you know leaving your your son your yeah, son, my or, son. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the at daycare like hearing those stories are really important because. Um, though you know, like though you say, express that you have regret, like I'm, I'm sure that you know, it was what you felt like you needed to do. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit bound by the expectations of, of in order to maintain. I I finally am in a position where I have stability. I'm not going from gig to gig to gig. Yeah. I am at a job I love. I'm in a leadership position. Mm. Um. I'm I'm doing exactly the work that I want to be doing that I didn't even realize existed mm. um, and have all these insecurities about like not being needed or valued, you know, and I know I know I know I'm needed and I know I'm valued and like mm-hmm. um, or I know that I contribute value, whether I need you know, the, the business would function without me totally and fine. And we've got an incredible team. But um, that's where. I feel like the shedding or the surrendering of like mm. knowing that that this time thinks you know thanks to your sh- stories is time you'll never get back mm. and no. and it goes quickly you know yes. I even watch it with my nieces and nephews so it's like it goes so quickly that um that making sure to like stay present and slow mm. down um are are good are good you know is good bits of advice whether you meant it to be or not (laughs) um because i think also like this covid has taught us that yeah you know it was like taught us to slow down be inside be introspective um Mm. so i just i feel like those kind of slow moments Mm. are so necessary for us to take pause yeah um, as mothers or aunties or sisters or or fathers or brothers, you know, uncles, and kind of reevaluate 
what's important. And I think that's what that's what COVID has at least, you know, showed us. Mm. And we're in such a crazy time with people denying this reality. Mm. I know, right? We're such it's a crazy, crazy time. We're in like, and it's kind of, un, it's like we're living in a surreal experience where where truth is just what we speak. Like, it's like where we like, it's like what we have to return to. Mm-hmm. And when truth is being contorted and like, yeah. depending on your algorithm on social media, like that's your truth. <laughs> so we're, we're in a time where like the only way to get to the truth is to like slow down and listen. Yeah. Be still. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to pause and thank the Wisteria Fund for their generous contribution to make season three possible. Tiguitzi, our hands are raised to you, and we join you in remembering Matthew Lunin, a generous and humble man with a quiet, sparkling sense of humor. The babies who are coming to us right now, who the ancestors are literally sending us, those are the lifelines. That's the generation that's going to change this world. And, and because they are coming with all of this knowledge from, these, from, from the ancestors, from those who have suffered in unimaginable ways, right? Mm-hmm. Ways that we can't fathom as Native women in 2021. You know, we may carry some of that grief, some of that pain. We may hold those stories, right? We may even, you know, have experiences that resonate. But, but those previous generations are literally sending us the answers. And that's how I really feel about these babies who are coming to us. I mean, not just native babies, literally all these babies, all these babies across the world and all these cultures and countries. Um, I can't wait for the world that those babies are going to, to shape um, because I just feel like they're coming to us intentionally. These aren't mm-hmm. accidents. Mm-hmm. You know, we need something so critical right now in these moments where everything is uncertain, where truth and lies are just, you know, like other the 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 separation between them are is just so thin, you know? Um mm-hmm. and and we need to listen. Like mm-hmm. we're the truths are all around us, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing it. Mm-hmm. We see it in the water, we see it in the air, we see it in the animals, we see it in our relations and our kinships systems that are coming back, you know, in, in different ways. We're being forced to communicate with each other in ways that we haven't had to because it's like, oh, wow, we can't see each other in person. So we need to figure this out differently. Right. Um, and it's happening, you know. Um, I just, yeah, I, I just want to thank you. I think you've reminded me of a lot of of beautiful connections um, that I think are going to be not just in this time and for us, but that are really going to carry on generation after generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's talk about um, rematriation. 
Okay. I'm, I'm really interested in this topic. Okay. And I think you've kind of spoken about it already. Okay. But, um, you know, I'm interested in rematriation as a framework for thinking about feminism, kind of. Mm. You know, I think of feminism as, a, as something that really benefits white women. Um, I think rematriation is returning to our traditional spaces that already existed here. We're, ma- you know, like we're matrilineal societies, not matriarchal societies, but certainly matrilineal. And um, we are in an age, like you said, where it's more legal to be an Indian I think you know like I get to go to canoe journey I get to speak my language I get we're having this conversation in a in the Tulalip tribal heritage and cultural center you know and which is like took generations to to create spaces where we get to celebrate our culture where it was illegal a hundred years ago here in this in this very space and so we're this generation that's doing the work of rematriating we're doing it with our bodies you're doing that right now you know, you're in ceremony making a baby. Um, but we're also like rematriating in the way that we're thinking about motherhood in the way that we're thinking about bringing babies into the world and in the way that we're thinking of instilling values. And I know when I was having a baby, when I was pregnant, I was really um, taking time to think like, what does it mean to raise an indigenous baby? What does it mean to raise a baby that comes from the Coast Salish Sea? Mm-hmm. That's a person of the tide. What is it? What is that shilling? And, and how do I do that um, in a way like that navigates both the, the blood quantum politics? You know, like I had to I had to move home and buy a house here and live here so my baby could be enrolled here. So that's one thing. But the, that's different is difficult to confront. But also, like, how do I raise Alma to have values that are um, intrinsically to hope? And how do I? how do I do that right now in as as I was pregnant as I was in in the first year you know and and onward so what does that mean to you to rematriate and how do you hope to what how have you been thinking about that that's a really good question and I like the I like the distinction between matriarchal versus matrilineal and um and I'm still grappling with that because it's been so broken up by colonization but I I do know that one thing that was made clear to me um, was that the land that belongs to our family on La Mires is my grandma's land Mm -hmm. and um, and I uh, you know I my my grandma died um, the year of my third knee surgery and um my third knee surgery has the biggest scar and it's a it looks like a one just like up my knee and i i I look at that and every time i look at that i think of my grandma because it was the same year that she passed um sanina and i think about how soft spoken she was and how incredibly fierce she was um and she's still with me all the time. Like the, her guidance has been, uh, I learned more about my, myself. I feel like in their death in both her and she, um, she passed a year after my, my grandpa. And I feel like in their, in the ceremonies, I like learned more about them and myself and like my identity in their death. And they can, they continue to teach me and have come to me in different ways and forms and moments and dreams and 
through others and um and so i can't i can't think about what it means to rematriate without thinking about my grandmother and um and i also think about our our traditional spirituality um i hate to use the word religion because it has such a connotation of like of disruption in mm-hmm. our communities but i think about how uh how that is a opportunity for me to go learn um in our ways in the in the longhouse in the smokehouse and um uh which i you know i I don't i haven't been i besides being uh um besides going and observing and witnessing the work i won't speak on it because it's not my place to speak on but i i feel like that's something that i've always wondered if you know kind of making my way home i live in seattle i don't live in lummy um but that's something i feel that i would regret not doing this lifetime but it requires that i commit 100 percent to that and would be gone for months you know during the winters and covid has eliminated access to our ceremonies so i think of those those so my grandma um my my grandma my grandparents um presence my grandma's um uh ties to the land and the kind of you know she had 12 kids and so she was she was pregnant for years years <laughs> years and years and you Dang. know um and then i think about um now and i think about like birthing like i've been uh when I first was maybe in the first or second trimester, I've been like, I had all this, all these things come up about how um, ashamed I felt for not knowing any of our teachings, like as a indigenous mother, like what are our teachings as a Lummi person? And to your point, like I actually don't know. And I don't think my, I don't know if my aunties have that knowledge. It doesn't feel like nobody's, offered that so much um they know what they've shared what they know but it's not present in our communities it's not like there's someone but i i I do feel like there's an attempt to return to that 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 rematriation the thing that i thought about before pregnancy and before motherhood that has been on my mind for years um as a survivor of sexual assault and and uh, you know so many so many assaults in different ways that you like you don't kind of realize until you're like outside of it and you're like oh wow this is me and then you learn we learn about mmiw you learn about one in three you learn about you know one in three native women experience sexual assault or rape in her lifetime and like then the more that you talk to native women you're more like actually all of us um uh, not to speak for everybody but that's kind of my experience is the more I talk to native women, the more that I realize that it's been a common experience to experience some sort of sexual assault. I think about my own challenges with the conversations that we have around sex and sexuality and where are our coming of age ceremonies? How can we, adapt and return to those in a way that still is culturally driven 
while also not placing the shame or the constrictions of the modern society that we live in that's bound us to like feeling ashamed of our bodies even if we were um like i've been told that we've been uh um modest people right but i'm like but uh, but uh like the ways that our american society's thinks about women and breastfeeding and like shames women for breastfeeding i can't imagine that that was the case in our communities and so for me rematriation is also returning to those conversations that we are having with our daughters at a young age because i never had those conversations and the way that my identity around sexuality was shaped um, came from Catholicism. And I don't need to go into details about how fucked up Catholic churches in regards to the ways that it's teaching about abstinence, waiting till marriage, virginity. You can't, you kind of can't win (laughs) in those like two, like those identities that are like most prominent. Um, And I, you know, I'm, I feel like Catholicism is, has been an adaptation and I really admire my my grandparents and how they like have taken that on um, while also still maintaining their agency in um, our spirituality. But it disrupted so much of our time with our daughters and our nieces. And, and like, so that's been something that I'm like, maybe down the line that I'll find the other women who are interested in reviving those conversations so that we can speak about sex in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like if I would have had those conversations where I didn't feel so much shame, where I didn't feel um, so alone, mm-hmm. where sexual exploration is considered natural and normal mm-hmm. and not shameful, um, where you feel comfortable going to your to your doctor not uncomfortable and treated like you know i i had negative experience with doctors for sure especially as a young person like trying to get birth control and they're like oh you're sexually active yes do you remember that i remember that specific feeling like being like well yeah i am i'm sexually active (laughs) aren't you yeah aren't you yeah i think it's also very different in different countries so like i kind of came into my sexual identity and kind of that full realization when i was overseas where were you i was in new zealand for like the good part of my t- like twenties, early twenties to you know end of my twenties, and so different. I mean, there's sexual health clinics everywhere. People just pop in. You just go and get whatever you need. Immediate, you know. Oh, you need you have an STI. Here you go. Take that antibiotic. Oh, you need birth control. You you know. I mean, it folks. It was just so open. And I coming from a reservation, coming from the Indian Health Service, where you know, like you say, Matika, like there's such shame and stigma. Uh-huh. It was like literally probably one of the best things I could have ever done for myself not even thinking about it like it wasn't planned or anything that I was not in this country when I was at that age like it was just like wow so different here I just and I also like would have liked to have like less quiet conversations with my (laughs) mom that was like always in a car and really uncomfortable (laughs) and like um I just feel like I carried so much shame around my sexuality and I tried to take control of it in the same kind of masculine way that I was talking about and like promiscuity 
that I ended up doing more damage or like mm. doing more harm to myself. Yeah. Um, also, the music I was listening to. I just want to yeah. acknowledge like when I was a teenager, I didn't start having sex in my 20s. I started having sex when I was like young. Yeah. Very young. <laughs> And oh, I did too. Uh, I'm yeah. just saying, <laughs> like, like, I was in my 20s. No, I'm just saying that my 20s was when I really got into the you blossomed. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like my mom put me on birth control. I was 14. Yeah. Okay. She was like, we're doing that. Yeah. 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 Best thing she ever did because I would have been pregnant. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is like, I remember like, you know, being told that because I went to Catholic school, I was kicked out of Catholic school for cutting my skirt too short and for saying that God is red. Me you know, too. like I made like this little sign that I went, oh I don't God, know what Catholic I was doing. School? I like, Catholic I don't know what I, did. I, yeah. cut my, I cut my skirt and then went and had a personal protest, my own protest. <laughs> and said, God is red. God is red. You read the book. Like, I read the book and was like, <laughs> by <laughs> the they, way, they kicked me out. Oh you know? my God. <laughs> activist activist with your little it was a skirt one woman on. show okay <laughs> you were you did not pass the kneel test you if you kneel your skirt better be touching the ground oh no i i just didn't like it that long it just didn't look it cute. and cute. you know clueless but i want to acknowledge like that the way that dominant culture really influenced my sexuality it wasn't just like what was happening at the IHS clinic, but also that I was like listening to Lil Kim and like, I'm serious. <laughs> I was, and I was listening to Snoop yeah. Dogg and I was listening to music, Tupac. to Tupac, the music that was like really violent towards women. Now yeah. when I listen back to it, I'm like, dang, I sing along to this. I know all the lyrics, too short. but oh, too short. Yep. Come on. I'm in a too short video, by the way. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> You've heard of the song. It's called blow the whistle. Just wanted to point that one out. I was 23. <laughs> okay, now that we've got that out of the way. But yes, totally. You know, like, I worked for a hip-hop and R&B station in the Bay Area right out of college, and it was like, it, it was incredible. Me. But it, I mean, it impacts all of us, oh, but yeah. we don't, like, because you think of it, it, it like minimizes, this is the part that I feel like I missed. Mm. You get the messages about like saving yourself and virginity and like, wait till marriage and i won't say that my mom was that way she was more like you know she she even shared with me that um sex can feel good and you can have orgasm i remember being like 12 but like i already know not that i was having <laughs> sex but i was already having orgasms at that age mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but like nobody talks about that either like our kids are inherently they're exploring they're yeah. exploring or sexual and just like those things like even now it's like it's embarrassing and it's also normal really normal really normal, normal behavior and so how do we re- how do we rematriate by normalizing these conversations around sexual health mm-hmm. that aren't like if kids are doing it it is it isn't about sex it's about like sexual uh, like our sexual expressions right and it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't have to be taboo and wrong yeah and uncomfortable and, and uncomfortable. awkward and and relegated to a quiet space like totally. you said yeah like you know, sh- hush um, hush i want to i just want to acknowledge what you said about coming of age ceremonies and rematriation mm. and the lack of coming of age ceremonies like yeah. we have our death ceremonies mm-hmm. almost we know every, them well every yes. tribe that i've gone to around the country if i i ask them two questions i say can you tell me about your birthing ceremonies can you tell me about your coming of age ceremonies can you tell me about your death ceremonies and most will say we we don't do the birth and coming of age anymore, but this is how we take care of death. Mm -hmm. 
And that to me is a strong indicator of, of like where the work lies ahead of us yeah. is, is in, is in reconnecting with our birth and coming of age ceremonies, our ceremonies for life, Living. our ceremonies that believe in a future, yeah. our ceremonies that take our kids and give them purpose and strength and lift them up and make them feel like they matter. And I've, you know, like I was fortunate. I went to some coming of age ceremonies in Navajo Nation. I went to coming of age ceremonies in Akwesasne in Haudenosaunee country where um, clan mothers like Louise Bear have 20 week programs with kids where they take them every weekend. They bring them into the longhouse and they share with them about sexual health, about these are your ways. You know, let me teach you. Let's grow corn together. You know, like connect, connect them with the land, connect them with their traditional teachings and then put them out to fast, you know, for four days and um, then bring them back and then let them speak to all the clan mothers and chiefs about what they've learned. It's called Ohologo, which means um, under the husk. And you're peeling back the layers and helping them emerge from, from out from underneath the husk. And, it, and she, when she started that ceremony, she was um, scrutinized because it wasn't traditional because it wasn't done in the longhouse because they're the people of the Flint, the people of the longhouse. Mm. And she just did it with her own family, with her own kids. You know, like, well, I have these four young kids. They're teenagers. They need direction. And uh, the sweat lodge isn't our traditional way, but I have aunties and cousins and sisters who do that, and we're going to do that, you know. And and this this structure, this arbor I'm going to build is not a traditional structure, but I'm going to, but I've been going to elders and youth for years and I'm going to build an arbor here and we're going to use the teachings from the fire and we're going to teach these kids. Mm -hmm. And she received a lot of criticism for years, mm -hmm. but now, you know, 20 years later, 70 to a hundred kids are sent to her from all six nations a know, year every year wow and she's been doing that program it's growing and growing and the freedom school is growing and growing and so it's together like this in rooms like this in conversations like this the aunties can decide together to take back our power and say this is what we want to do with our children mm -hmm. you know and maybe and it's not perfect That's it's not thing, perfect right? it's it's not going to be perfect but the imperfection of it all is is the reality of it. And this Maori elder told me one time, you know, ceremonies are not made by the creator. Ceremonies are made by the people. Mm -hmm. This the creator gave us the right to make ceremony for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when we have been disconnected because of this, you know, this broken American colonial system, when our ceremonies have been broken, we have the right to put them back together again. You know, and like that's like and so when I was pregnant, I just like made a conscious decision to break tape like to take back my ceremonies you know and like we had a we had a blessing way ceremony for Alma B and then we had a when she was born we gave her her first cedar bath with my grandma my mom and Lino's mom we waited until the fourth morning and then at sunrise we um we went and got fresh water from the river and we heated it over the fire um, and then the grandmothers gave her that bath and we sang her four water songs. Mm. And uh, me and my aunties came, we sang her those four water songs We and we introduced her to water. And we explained to her, you know, like, you're here now. You're here on this side now. This water is going to give you life, you know. And those are the words that we spoke to her so she would know that she was here in this on this side and introduce her to that element like that. And then it wasn't, you know, a big deal. We ate afterwards, <laughs> but we did that, Always you know. Food. Yeah. We, yeah, we did that because, and we don't do that anymore here. Yeah. But I've been told that that's how it used to be done here. 
I can imagine. You know, and so it's like, well, I'm just going to do it. You know, like I don't and and I'm just going to I'm just going to do it. You know, like I didn't know what's right or wrong. And there was no medicine person to come and do it because we don't have birth workers like that. But I just did it and I prayed and I apologized when I did it. You know, like, I'm sorry. I know that there's probably a better way to do this, you know, like maybe there's a traditional way to do this. And but I don't know. So I'm just going to I want to pray for my baby. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful. And I, I, yeah. I'm like really looking forward to remembering this story because I I also feel insecure about knowing not knowing my language or not knowing the yeah. right songs. Yeah. Or like the songs I do know are like typically blessing songs um, for like setting the table. Um, but, uh, you know, I've used them in spaces defending the water on the front line of Standing Rock that actually diffused a situation where I was like, where are the native songs? Where are the songs? Cause I know the songs needed to be there. And rem- like, I'm like, okay, well I know this song. This is the song I know. So sing it. And so I sang it and, um, wow. and it, and it worked it, you know, weapons got lowered and like, it was powerful and I could feel my grandma. I could feel the ancestors. I could feel those things. And I think that's like, to your point, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know it wasn't the, the, the proper space we weren't like setting the table at the moment but um but it was the power of the ancestors through those songs or through the water that uh really helped at that moment and in i'm excited to to do something similar for this baby of sing sing the songs that i do know that also have to do with water and um and be okay you know mm-hmm. saying i don't know but mm-hmm. i'll learn or i'll like i i do feel like i'm excited with this baby because um blood quantum like i'm i'm half blood mm-hmm. on my tribal certificate this baby i can enroll mm-hmm. but their child my grandchild will not be able to be enrolled at a you know at less than a quarter which is so problematic yeah it is exact it is erasure yep. it is erasure and um, and know that it's kind of up to our own tribal governments to address this. And yeah. we're getting to that point, right? Oh, we we're, yeah. Or we're at that point. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's so complex, like the, the politics of identity. But I think if we think about matrilineal societies, like we have to, we have to remember um, mm. the land that we come from and the land that we're accountable to and the water that we're accountable to. And mm. And I think if we have naming ceremonies, that's the other thing we have, but it isn't always like, that's another thing. It's not always, um, so that, mm-hmm. that is something that I've been thinking about is like, how, how am how are, how are we, how am my partner and I, how am I going to talk to my kid about sexuality in a mm-hmm. way that is, um, really working on not projecting my own, um, mm-hmm you know trauma or experience but like really working on like creating openness and mm. um confidence and um and understand like a, a different and sacred sacredness mm. around sexuality because that was what was missing from my conversations mm. like mm. if i would have thought of the experience differently in like a sacred way and it's okay to have fun and it's okay to be exploratory and Mm. all of those things. But like thinking about my body as I do now Mm. is I'm becoming a mother 
yeah. as I like, I'm like, oh, this is such a sacred experience. Um, perhaps I wouldn't have made mm. uh, some of the decisions that caused me some harm. Mm. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we do our best, right? I think that this entire conversation and thinking about our experiences and what rematriation means, it's, it's literally just doing our best. And, and when we're pregnant and when we're bringing life into this world, we're, we're really at this place where we can, we can do our best. You know, we, we're, we're given this chance with this beautiful new life. Um, and it's like your story, Matika, about, you know, your, your, your aunties and your mom and singing the songs that, you know, and just trying, you know, I, I feel the same way. Like, you know, we've lost so much. We still know some things and we just try our best. Like I remember when my son, I spent so much time in New Zealand and around Maori people and witnessing and, and being able to have just having the honor of, of learning so many of their ways and about their with their their names and about how they 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 take the the afterbirth and the placenta and they bury it and they have ceremonies around that and i came back to the u.s and i thought we must do something too we have to have these ways and i remember asking when i was pregnant asking my aunties and my mom and and they were it was this beautiful thing because they were all like okay Desi wants to know this. This is very important. We're going to figure out how to get this knowledge, right? So they started sending their feelers out to different folks. And and then they all came together and they said, we figured out what we did once. And it was, we used to hang the placenta and the afterbirth in trees. That's what we did once. Mm. Um, and nobody does it anymore. Mm. Um, but, and I said, well, and I, like, I, I'm like, oh, I'm still brought to tears because like, well, that's what we're going to do. And that's what we're going to do for every other baby who, every other mom who wants this, we're gonna do that for them. Mm. Because now we have this and it's imperfect, right? And you, you, you just tell the creator and the spirits like, forgive me, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. You know, take pity on us. And it's like, as Cheyenne people, so many of our prayers are just literally asking for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Just, just coming before the creator and the spirits and just saying, we are pitiful, mm-hmm. <laughs> like help us. and. So it made, you know, and I, I remember with my boy and I had his afterbirth and we wrapped it in cloth and, 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 and we went out to this patch of aspen trees that is where my grandfather would take me. And it's like, I, it holds some of the most beautiful memories of my life. And I said, that's where we're going to go. And so that's where we hung it and we sang and we prayed. And I think, you know, we can create new ways, right? We can create new ways that honor and and bring strength and power and maybe we're saying these prayers in english you know like maybe i'm singing in english maybe i'm crying you know um and but it's it still holds meaning you know like it still matters it's still good enough Mm -hmm. it's literally our best Mm -hmm. and i think as moms like we have these moments where you know it's like i am so pitiful i don't know anything i don't know what i'm doing but it's my best mm-hmm. and it's enough. Guess what? It's enough. Yeah. It I really had, is. I had to really fight for my afterbirth from the, from the hospital. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, like they, you have to tell you, even though I told them in my birthing plan that I wanted my afterbirth, mm. they, they had, when I was, I had a really, um, you know, anyway, they were like, no, this isn't really, um, in one piece. It's, you really shouldn't take this home. And I was like, no, no, I, I want Give it. it to me. Give it to me. All of it. <laughs> All of it. Yeah, Keep it. Yeah. And I was, they were stitching me up and I was fighting with the nurses 
like no nah! like and lena was yeah i was yelling at them like, wow you and they, they kind of they were like okay okay <laughs> fine take yeah. it but we did the same thing we had her um we used to traditionally bury um um under a cedar tree Mm. Yeah. So my mom's buried mine under my grandma's cedar tree where my grandma's is also buried. And so mm. that's like our medicine tree. So I buried Alma bees there. Oh. It, but the funny thing is when we went to do it, the ground was, she was born in November. We couldn't, so the guys couldn't <laughs> dig the hole. <laughs> They're like, like so yeah. locked. The yeah. earth was frozen. Yeah. Well, so Cammy has been like, oh, oh, no, I'm taking it. She's like, I'll Good. take it home and put it in my fridge and until like, you're ready. Until you're ready. Yeah. yeah. Until and you so know. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. I'm like, so, and and it's been like a matter of like where we're, and what I know, you? you know, I'll back on Lemmy. It'll just be a matter of, and then probably next to that boathouse where I receive <laughs> yeah. my name, you know. Yeah. Um, we create these new, these new ceremonies, right? That become a part of our new ways of being and doing. And they're enough new ceremonies but they're actually old mm-hmm. and they just i feel like when we talk about tradition too mm-hmm. or it's not traditional like we ha- we have to remember that tradition is a process and it's it's adapting just as we are as people yeah. you know um and and the ways that even our our traditional regalia has ad- adopted adapted across time and same with these these ceremonies they're all they're all adaptations of of the way the world turns yeah mm-hmm. it's beautiful and there's power in it so mm-hmm. beautiful yeah. well let's close with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with that yeah let's close with that that's good well thank you for joining us thank you for being here especially now you know when you're so pregnant and, <laughs> yeah. just... and having your baby here with us yeah. you know yeah. we're happy to have your baby here. not with actually us. having the baby <laughs> yeah but, um, yes the baby's been just listening and yeah. i think that's what's just so beautiful is like like this experience of bringing the baby with me in all these spaces and knowing they're listening and and learning already Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah liked this content, please consider liking and subscribing and sharing to your socials. Or even better, become a patron on Patreon, where we release exclusive episodes and early access to AMR merch and all kinds of fun things. We're on Instagram as AMR Podcasts, Desi is Dr. Dr. Des, and Matika is Project underscore 562. You can find us online at www.allmyrelationspodcast.com, where we now have transcriptions of these episodes and show notes with links. It takes a whole village to make this content. <laughs> so thank you to the Hebob Cultural Center for letting us use your space. Thank you to my mama for feeding us at PodCamp. <laughs> thank you to the All My Relations podcast team. Teo, Will, Kristen, Edison, John, Lindsay, Keone, Carly, Jamie. It takes a village, y'all. And we're really grateful to be bringing you this content. Stay tuned for next week. All my loving relations what is love (laughs) check us out for the answers